Okay, 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 okay. Hello, welcome to the Coogan Chronicles podcast. A podcast where two former child actors, we interview other former child actors about what it was like growing up in the business and what the rest of their life looked like because of it. My name is Chris Marquette. And I'm AJ Trouth. And we're your co-hosts for today. I don't know if I'm going to keep doing that okay, okay, okay intro. It just felt, no, here's felt the, funny the first five times and now oh, I'm like, Chris, here's go the punch part. in the face, Chris. Yeah, but you're going to come to, to a breakthrough and like in like episode <laughs> get- 79 where you have a revelation. Like you're going to get enlightened while you're this doing is, that. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. This you is, just have yeah, to push this is my this. Mr. Miyagi wax on, wax off. Just keep doing it. Yeah. Keep doing it. And one day it's going to transcend and I'm just going to be- This is the tough time. Yeah. going to start levitating. I'll be present all day long, every day for the rest of my life. So today, AJ, we come back to Madeline Zima's interview. We took a little intermission. We split it up into two parts. So now we're at part two. Uh, And before we talk a little more about Madeline, we just wanted to touch on a completely unrelated subject to Madeline and our discussions with her, but just something we've realized we start thinking about as we think more about kid actors, kid actors in the past and kid actors these days. And uh, what I wanted to bring up was social media in relation to kid actors, like kid actors having social media. Well, this is a different type of subject for us because most of what we do or most of what we talk about is retrospective and from our firsthand experience. And this particular topic, social media, it really has to do with the absence of it when we were coming up in the business. Exactly. And now the massive prevalence of it today and what uh, that- and well we and we don't know this for sure but what massive prevalence might be like i my guess is it's probably mandatory you know maybe even so far as like directed by maybe producers or parents or agents and managers and acting teachers who knows i don't know i just can't imagine these days there are many kid actors that do not have a social media presence and aren't probably coached in it in somewhere someone would have a hand in it because for any kid actor like us growing up and all the people we knew you know you you are walked through and and there is a lot of time spent talking to kid actors about how they have conversations with people you know and how they conduct themselves in auditions or general meetings or in the workplace and like there's some attention to it right and there's a there's a people offer guidance whether it's just your parents or that's producers uh, or even agents and things where they you know they they, they ever, a lot of people like to give their two cents you know hey so if you're going to go in you're going to talk to them make sure that you're polite make sure that you tell them about yourself you know it's like people give you this kind of direction right yeah they did um, for me i know they, i'm well, I, i'm well aware yeah. My mother so was they, really good at telling me to like go network with people at parties. <laughs> and I'm yeah, like, exactly. I'm 14. I don't know how to That's network. Exactly. That's I know. So I was scary. Like, it's so true. I was like, what I, am I going to talk my... to them about? Like taking the so kids true. to school or like what neighborhood we live in? They don't want to talk. So, they don't want to network with me. Where are you from? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Chuck, how about them bears? Yeah. You, you really, I, my, my guess is um, there's a lot of us former kid actors that, uh, that yeah, for sure had a few little lines in their pocket. They could just throw out on a whim just to to you know chip away at the ice and start a conversation i remember i had a i I had a premiere for a movie at like 17 years old and it landed on my birthday and so all i wanted to do was get in and get out i was like i just want to go hang out with friends 
get in and get out. But it was that. It was my parents impressed upon me. They're like, you're going to a premiere, Chris. You should probably mingle a little bit and get to know a couple <laughs> of the – so like I remember, you know, it was all of these like me just like li- literally dashing around a party being like, hi, nice to meet you. My name's Chris Marquette. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm a nice Chris Marquette. It's like – Well, I mean you're already so awkward and like have acne all over your face and I'm just talking about myself and like it's like simultaneous your, your face is super shiny and you have acne all over and like somehow you've decided to wear sandals with a tuxedo and like a shiny shirt and stuff again i'm talking about myself and you go to the party and you're like now i'm supposed to mingle with people and i feel so uncomfortable in my own skin yeah Yeah, a full bloat a full-blown adult just like a normal you know what let's network let's network let's go see see what nancy over there is talking about yeah i get you if you're talking about me it'd be sideways visors and puka shells and and jay-z hawaiian shirts that were five sizes too big but that's a whole other subject at some point that was but that was our version of of people weighing in and telling us how to conduct ourselves in the the public eye you know there's a couple of things one is like if we just take instagram for example you can't have an account until you're 13 years old so at least we've you know that's a good thing to start right yeah yeah. but how do they actually monitor that and keep well i mean i'm sure there's regular growing up where it's difficult to monitor but but with with actors it's probably a bit easier to monitor because there's a certain expectation like if you everyone knows like you're drew barrymore at seven years old and you have yeah. an Instagram account. <laughs> yeah, like, well, true. she's Dakota Fanning's Instagram account stands out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So no, I get that, but there. I don't know if people realize. Like, I think what made me think of it too is I thought about there was this thing that kid actors did twenty years ago, myself included, and it was when you got a role, particularly when you got like a guest star on a TV show. A lot of agents and managers they would have the parents buy and produce these little business cards. Not bi- they look like postcards, and it would have your headshot on them, and it would say. Look out October 29th for Chris Marquette in an episode of Judging Amy, where he plays the lone victim to the explosion at the school. And you watch him as he dashes and dares to stand up to the truth in court at 7 p.m. Watch him. He's brilliant, you know, and, and it'll be this and they'll send it out to agents and managers and other casting directors. And, and it was a part of self-promotion. It was a part of it. And it was very much a part of being a kid actor. Um, And, and that was it. And so I wonder these days, I'm like, what's the equivalent? Cause it's got to have evolved and it's got to involve. Well, here's the great thing about that system versus the old system is you send it out. That's it. There's no expectation sitting there waiting for the reply. And I mean, we saw every kid deals with this today. We saw this in, in social dilemma. If, if I think you saw that movie, if anyone listening saw that film, but you know, there's this, it's a, for kid actors, I would imagine it's just a heightened experience where it's another thing to worry about. It's another thing to stress about. So you're already competing against other kids. You're already in these, you know, stressful waiting rooms. You're already trying to get these or to Auditions. enjoy. Maybe, you know, well, just because it would have stressed you out doesn't mean someone doesn't totally have fun with social media. I think it can, whether it's stressful or whether it's a well, fun. Yeah, but look, life, look, look, if I, the fun thing about acting is doing the actual acting, okay, auditioning isn't necessarily a fun thing. And I don't think that promoting self promotion on social media for a young actor isn't necessarily a fun thing. What we're talking, the acting is the fun part, the being on set and, and the doing what you love is the fun part. All of these other For things are people, difficult some hurdles. People, I don't know. Some people just like saying, yo, guess what I'm in? And some people just like being watched and some people just want some compliments. I mean, there's a, a thousand reasons why 
kid actors yeah. act. You know, there really are. It'll be interesting to find out from each person why they believe they did it. Um, and I think it'll vary. But regardless of the reason and regardless of what they enjoy about the process or don't enjoy, uh, I just find it, you know, I think it'll be interesting for us to look into as this podcast keeps moving, you know, what social media looks like for kid actors. Because for us, it was irrelevant. It was non-existent. And I just think that's probably a whole new side of this um, that would terrify me at that age because my I think why it even comes to the forefront of my mind is I was all about ducking and diving attention I didn't I loved to go act you could put me in front of a stage of you know tens of thousands of people and I wouldn't bat an eye I felt totally comfortable but like right afterwards if someone wanted me to tell them about the process or what we did yeah how we did that oh, I, I would so like clammed up and I hated it and I yeah. wanted to know so you know I, what I so I you know what I think we should do people I was on something you know what I think we should do is we should get an actor on here that's like in their early 20s that can relate to the self-promotion part in doing it, but is still able to speak about it re you know, retrospectively to get an answer and a perspective on that. We should, cool. we should find somebody should like that. Well, today we go back again to Madeline Zima. If you didn't hear part one, please go back and listen because it's so wonderful. You don't want to miss a minute with Madeline Zima. You know her from things when she was a kid like The Nanny with Fran Drescher. She was on for years. Mr. Nanny. Uh, she did all the nanny stuff, anything named nanny in the 90s. Uh, Mr. Nanny with Hulk Hogan, which might have been the start of like the action hero slash comedy, like Kindergarten Cop or The Rock did a version of it. Um, John Cena does a version. Anytime there's a big buff action star, they'll pair him with some kids and make it like a rom-commy, you know, family, family centric comedy. Uh, maybe this is, was the first one, but Mr. Nanny's great. If you haven't seen it, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Uh, she was in Californication and Twin Peaks and You and Perry Mason and a thousand great movies. She's given uh, many, many wonderful performances. Hand That Rocks uh, the Cradle, also about a nanny. Oh, all's about a nanny. Look at that. So we didn't even ask her that question. Um, but uh, look at all that serendipitousness. Um, so without further ado, we give you the conclusion, part two of our interview with Madeline Zima. Yeah, because when you say that, right, it's like that there is no questionnaire for you that you that really applies to you. What else? Tell us more about that in general. Like you didn't not going to school, you know, moving around a ton. What was your whole life like behind the scenes of being a professional actor? Do you mind us asking? Like, what's your, you know, if you moved around a lot, I know you and your sisters are close. Are you very close with your parents? You obviously are with your mom. You said you called her before this. and Well, my mom is super ill and we all like take turns taking care of her now. Is she close? Is she in LA? She's in Valencia still. Oh, yeah. Okay. But you know what? And a lot of people are like, wow, I can't believe what you do for your mom. Like, I could never do that. I feel so grateful for the tough things that I've had to experience in my life because I know what I'm made of. I know what I can do. I know that I'm strong in a way that I know other people are not strong. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that because you want your life to show you what you're made of. You want your life to 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 reflect back to you who you think you can be and then every once in a while to surprise yourself and to be like wow i'm more than i thought i was and the things that have been tough about the industry have done that for me and the things in my life with my family like it's made us all extremely close because we all understand where where we're coming from in a way that other people can't me and my sisters are best friends and also they're my collaborators like Vanessa is just as she wrote this a couple brilliant scripts. Um, she's just as talented, if not more so than both me and Yvonne. And I want to see her win. Like 
for me, I want to make things that like, like, like I did with my short film where I got to give Yvonne this opportunity to shine because, you know, at one point she didn't have representation as, as an actor and, and nobody would take her on because, you know, she was like not the new kid on the block or whatever, even though she's so gorgeous and so talented and amazing. And I just want to see the people that I know are talented get a shot because I really, this doesn't, this is not answering your question. I just went off on a tangent. <laughs> well, I have a question actually that's on this subject though, which is, okay. do you feel like Madeline having been a former child actor that it, is it relates to your personal life that that has either given you certain superpowers or given you unnecessary baggage one or the other? Um, I think both 100% both. I have superpowers when I'm on a set. When I'm on a set, I am the most radiant human. I, I am <laughs> I am like seamlessly moving through all of the things and it just makes me feel amazing. You also know every corner of it. How could you not at this point? You know everything that's happening on the set is my guess at all times. You know exactly what every AD and makeup artist and craft service person and transpo driver are doing all at the same time. What about as it relates to your personal life though? Because of course there's set yeah. life, which is you're uniquely qualified for that. But the ch I'm also interested in how the lifestyle of a kid actor influences the regular life. Well, so then in, you know, then I, I don't know when it comes to, to relationships, I, I'm sure that I have a lot of baggage. I'm sure that when it comes to rejection and stuff that I'm triggered in a way that other people aren't. And I haven't had more than one really long, serious relationship. And that was only like three and a half years. So I think I do have, I, I'm sure I'd have wounds when it comes to that. In terms of that very narrow societal path of, you know, go to college, get married, have kids path. But then what happens when your marriage falls apart. Then what happens when, you know, your kid dies? Like nobody knows. Nobody's got the fucking answer. But they all act like they do. And they act like it's this one thing. And if you if you deviate from that path, then you're the reason that you're a failure. And I don't think that that's true. And I've, I've also managed to cultivate like an incredible friend group and used to have like poetry nights at my house and like go to interesting lectures and like had a very full before quarantine had a very full and interesting life that gave me a sense of myself and I had to develop a sense of myself outside of the industry which a lot of people never did after Californication happened and it was great and then all of a sudden I wasn't on the show anymore I was like oh who am like but I was the I was the successful and then what am I doing and then I had to be like well what do I care about and what value do I bring to society and like then I started doing work with the homeless and it like it changed me and 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 grew parts of myself as well so that I know who I am without the industry. If it were all to go away, it would make me sad. I would find ways to make movies on my iPhone with my sisters just for fun. But I know who I am without it. So I think that that, that helps buoy my, my self-esteem because I know that I was low in it. But there are people who go their whole lives being very unaware of how low their self-esteem is until something mm. really, a real blow happens to them. And then they go, oh, now I've got to do some introspection. Now I've got to take a look and see who I am without my father and my wife and the people who used to define me. And would you classify that as like a, as a superpower being able to navigate life that way? I would say I'm like, I'm, I'm, I, it's a superpower to rebuild after you've been broken so many times. Absolutely. And that I, and that I'm okay with taking risks like that. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, what, what what I would say too is when I hear you speak, I, that's the sort of perspective and hopeful attitude someone can find in their life. Usually, they find it in when they're in their 40s, 50s, maybe? Like may- maybe after they've done something for a long time where they, like let's say the, the situations where you're finding validation or a self-image, you've obviously seen that perspective in finding your self-worth in a place that is not outside of yourself, that isn't, that mm-hmm. seems, is not plugged into like other people's attitudes or the results of situations or yeah, what other people think, which is really beautiful. And how hard is that struggle? Like, does that come and go? Does that like, where- there's no permanent destination. You're constantly arriving. You're constantly departing. And the mark is always shifting. The things that have solidified a sense of self inside, they still shift and they still go up and down. Like my love for acting. That's why I've tried to transition into directing. Um, like my my love for even my dog, which is unconditional and always there. But some days I love her a little more than others, you know, (laughs) and when she's gotten groomed and she's looking real gorgeous, she's a little more lovable. (laughs) Those things that I've found inside myself that are the the things that hold me up when, when the world's falling down around me, they're more solid, but they still move around and that I'm, I'm comfortable with that. It's a part of the letting go thing because somebody has imposed who you are onto you. And then you're not that anymore. Like Bob Dylan, like he didn't want to be the acoustic Bob Dylan forever. He went to electric and pissed everybody off. And as an artist, you have to do that. You have to break out and and disappoint people to be true to yourself and to continually try to find a true north that will hopefully guide your work and your life, right? So that you do like hopefully find the right relationship or the right job or the right temporary gig in between jobs that's not going to crush your soul. But I mean, I feel grateful both for my specific set of markers and things that have happened, events. But I know that somebody else who isn't me in those same scenarios might have turned out very differently than me, right? So it's like, Mm Not everybody would have experienced the nanny the same way. Not everyone would have experienced being on Californication the same way. And what it did to me and how I learned from it is unique to me and my experience. But it also still is always, it's still hard to pin down. It's hard to concretize something that is really a moving target all the time. Like this industry, like a human being, like all these things. We really work hard to hang our hat on things that a lot of them don't even exist. (laughs) And I think that's what this time is really taught me and that I'm trying to find things that are real constantly. What is really real and how can I really be present to that and not be off on some fantasy? Yeah, that's beautifully said. I wonder when you just said too, I was just thinking the way people might be able to imprint ideas of yourself onto you. I imagine that can definitely relate to you acting your whole life and all of a sudden you do one role or you do one part or you're a certain age and then a year later you feel like a completely different person or and someone is imprinting some idea of you onto yourself. So I'm sure you've, you've experienced that. Or when you do nudity and then people, men come up Have to you. Have you done nudity before? Oh, yeah. Oh, you did? I mean, I'd say my work. On... I mean, I've mostly done nudity the last few <laughs> years. That's all I... I've done. They're like, the naked girl, that's me. I've always wondered this then. For you, having acted your whole life, what is your relationship to that? Like, how does that how does that unfold as you've gone from like showing up to auditions, never that'd be the biggest, worst Ill- illegality in the world to suddenly you go from 17 years old to 18 and they're like, hey, would you be interested or or would you be, this says possible nudity. Are you 
how does that like how does that unfold for you in your life randomly like everything else nothing is all that all that just like a know, new audition intentionally and nothing is all you know you get an audition and it's not like you're like i'm gonna book this job you would go i'm <laughs> never gonna get this and then you just somehow sometimes you book it i don't know but what i was gonna say is that i've experienced men coming up to me and being total dicks to me because they feel like they have a certain entitlement to my body because they've seen it naked they have said hmm. disgusting things to my face and because I did nudity, which is very strange. And I guess it's like one of those things where it's like I was just trying to keep working. So it was just, again, like the jobs that were the just so happen to have some elements of that in. I would weigh the pros and the cons and sometimes do them and recently was cut out of something that I was nude in that I was like, I had a scene with the lead actor, which I was like the reason that I took the job. And then that was cut out and just the nudity was in it, which was interesting. So, so I have a question on that front. Do you ever think, and I've never really considered this, but do you ever think that it would be better if nudity were made illegal in entertainment? It would be great if there was if there was equal nudity in things so that so that there was just equality. So that what for ev for every set of boobs that you have to see a man be fully frontally nude. Do you think there's undue pressure on people to do nude cuz actors yes. really want to work and there's not a lot of work out there. Do you think there's undue pressure on them to to do nudity? Yes, and it's gotten so much worse where it's like one line and a and a naked scene. Like that now there's nudity in everything, like maybe right. even commercials now. And it wasn't like that for sure when when I was coming up. But it's kind of like for me, like I've just taken like my dad kind of said it best when I did the Californication scene. He was like, Well, if you're in that industry long enough, they're gonna ask and you're gonna either do it or not, and might as well just probably do it if it's a good job. If you feel good about the work, if there are other elements that feel worth it, then you do it. Like I got to work with David Lynch. It was a scene that required nudity. I'm really happy I got to work with David Lynch. I did the nudity. It was tastefully done, even though I was like worried about that. And I kind of gave him a little guff on set, which I actually think made him like me more, honestly, because I'm not like cultishly just going, yes, David. One more question on that front. So on the David Lynch thing, just to use that as an example, would you have preferred if you were offered that role and never asked about nudity like that was a non-question because it's not an option and you just got to do it like if given the choice For would sure. you prefer to because, do it without because nudity then, because then there's no question about your talent hmm. then there's no right. question about if you're good or not hmm. there's there's like oh well she was willing to do nudity nobody else was that's, that's so interesting. definitely a thing that's definitely a yeah. thing well there's also i mean you said you know to if you made it an even playing field, maybe it's a little more easily digestible. But but I, I guess what I want to say about it is like n nobody's ever going to ninety nine percent of the time some woman is going to walk up to some guy and she saw his dong in a HBO show and go like and say something disgusting and awful and repulsive. Twenty twenty, Chris, it could happen. Yeah, maybe it could. But the, but in general, I feel like the cards are definitely stacked against a woman in in that regard. Like I've talked about this a lot. I was like, you know, for me, <laughs> the first time I ever got asked to maybe do a nudity scene i was like me of you want me yeah absolutely because like they were like are you the nerdy horny guy great you know are you the guy who's like a victim and crying over something great nobody wanted to see me naked and so for me i was like this is a big boost of self-esteem but you know young actors don't go through that nearly as often as young actresses do as young women do well here's another question chris sorry that i want to tack on here which is and it's just to your point it's just kind of like an extension of this which is 
we don't have any responsibility or say over what the public is going to do with how they watch things and then how they interact with the people they see on screen. That's out of our control. But in the entertainment industry, maybe there is a little bit of an onus or an, a responsibility to protect our own. And we're putting people in those situations knowingly, and then the public's going to do what they're going to do. We don't have any control over the public, but we do have control and say over our own industry. And they're trying to do that with intimacy coordinators, which in my opinion makes it one million times more awkward. If they gave like rehearsal time to actors and it was like actors and, and the director and they had the time to like do that and plan things out so that nobody would be surprised by anything that happened, that would be, in my opinion, the best, most respectful of process and most respectful of personal people's boundaries. But um, they are trying. They are trying. And, and with all the Me Too stuff, they've had to because people have been getting creepy with their peepee so <laughs> which i i have to attribute to my ex ryan he came up with that and i have to give him credit because Very i'm funny. like that's so good ryan you need to put that on the shirt creepy with the friends. peepee but so, so it never enters your thought process of let's just get rid of nudity altogether let's make it a non issue no, no because question. i do think that there's something about it that can add to narrative I think I okay. think that I think it's an important part of being a human being. I mean, we're naked all the time with, under our clothes, and we, Fair enough. you know. So I don't think being so censored about it is the answer. I think being sensitive about it is the answer, and understanding mm. everybody's different. Fair. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if anything anyone will ever do will stop creepy with the peepee. You know, it, it, in the attitude of like the mass general public, especially towards actors and stuff. I mean, there's just always going to be shitty dudes. You know, but I wonder too, when you're speaking like today, I really just wanted, like, I wanted you to, because you seem excited to like tell your experience. Cause you have so much of it. I mean, we could do probably like a 10 part. We should just do a Madeline Zima podcast, not even a former child actor podcast. Just a, just a, let's visit once a month, <laughs> Madeline Zima's life. And we'll just take it year by year. You know, we'll do all 34, 35 years of your life now. And so when you look back at your whole life, you know, what are the things that stand out to you the most good and bad and atrocious or difficult? or wonderful like you know what are all the things that maybe we haven't even we wouldn't even know to ask you about things that stand out to me the most are like my family and like the hilarity of my family like my sisters can make me piss my pants laughing and so can my mom she's totally nuts and the funniest person ever where you just like the Marie Zima show is a show that like many people would want to watch because she's just out of her mind. I was wondering because I have both my younger brothers as well and I'm the oldest and we've all been very tight our whole lives. And part of that I've always attributed to the fact that we were all actors together. And like not only did we have our school life and personal life, but we were and close in age. We we experienced this whole other world all the time. You, you battled like, it out together on the yeah, main streets we, of Los Angeles, like up against all odds and crazy rejection. And like you guys were in the trenches together. Yeah, we did all kinds of stuff. And and so I got to imagine for you and your sisters, that's, I mean, it's a, a fabric, a part of your, a part of your connection. Yeah. And relationship. And also, and also you feel like you have a team members, right? Like you're all on the mm. same team. I remember as a fucking eight-year-old, seven-year-old, I would go into an audition. And if I felt like it didn't go good, or even if I felt like it did go good, I'd be like, and also have two younger sisters. And if you want to see them, they're also really good. Vanessa is two years younger than me. Vaughn's two years younger than her. Like I was You're still doing that. You're, you've been plugging yeah. your sisters way, on here. I'm, I'm yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's Team Zima all the way. Um, yeah. because, and also I think that's what makes me a good actor and a collaborator because I'm not just like, look at me, look at me. The reason I do what I do has always been like an offering for them, for all of us, for 
You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it's in Something service much of, bigger than yourself. It, yeah. It's in service of story. It's in service of survival at this point. <laughs> it's not just ego based. I've managed to get around a lot of traps of the industry by having a more malleable ego around stuff like this. Yeah. Well, this just to mention the sisters thing as an outsider's perspective, when you guys would come to a party, the three of you together or like a gathering or something, it was so cool to see three siblings be as close and supportive and loving as the three of you were everywhere you guys go together. And I would often think like, man, I wish me and my brothers were like that. That would be so great. It was a very inspirational type sibling relationship. It's called a trauma bond. <laughs> um, Thanks, AJ. No, I know I feel the same way. I feel so grateful. I feel so grateful. I mean, I'm literally most grateful to my mom and dad for just having them because they are my best friends and they inspire me so much. So I just want to make more cool shit with them and get, you know, whatever. They're, and honestly, I don't know what I would do without them during pandemic time. I mean, the only people I got to hang out with was my family. And like my mom's so ill, like we had to be really, really, really legit about quarantining and i was grateful i didn't come here from some other state by the way and like have nobody to be with during pandemic could you imagine coming here from and not having any friends you wouldn't or still family? be here you'd be yeah, gone you'd be so going well, there, there has left. been like yeah. a mass exodus and i'm hoping in december that everybody else leaves there's, I'm hoping everybody else, there's, there you there's go. a little bit of a little bit of competition coming out of like go back to oklahoma it's calling you home it's expensive <laughs> here you don't need to fight oh, with your man. landlord mama yeah. will take care this of you is... <laughs> she's got those nice biscuits go get them honey get on that bus for people that don't know, for kid actors that are in Los Angeles year-round, 12 months out of the year, there's a whole other group of kid actors that show up for what used to be called pilot, pilot season, season from February to, to April. And we would look at them with dirty, dirty looks like, get out of here. What are you guys doing here? Because we're the lifers. We were here, boots on the ground every day. But we're none of us were lifers. We were also coming in for pilot season and also just Wait. decided to plant a flag here at some point. No, yeah, so, you, you planted that flag. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I was an early, early transplant. So I claim yeah. I claim California as my as home. You're now. native. Yeah, you're totally I, itch, native. I'm naturalized. But when you thought about this podcast and even coming on, did it bring up suddenly these sort of experiences or I was really like, look, I was really like, don't say anything about the nanny. And then I did it anyway. <laughs> and that's the main it. thing that comes up. But also that the, like, I have so much joy around the industry. Like I am not bitter. I am not like upset about my experience. I am grateful for the person that I have become. And every single one of my failures and my big failures. I mean, I used to smoke a lot of pot and I definitely made huge mistakes in my career and like went into rooms that I shouldn't have gone in when I wasn't sober. And I'm so grateful. Like I don't smoke or drink or do anything fun anymore, but except write and hang out with your sisters and have a full life and find yourself worth inside and not. Yeah. <laughs> except yeah, all yeah, the, but right. I mean, like, the cheap trick fun. I get um, you. Yeah. But I'm so grateful for my unique and bizarre experience. And I know a lot of people, can't understand it or they'll just judge it outright. And mm -hmm. what I was trying to bring 
to this conversation was there's so much success and no and nobody ever nobody ever looks at that like i i heard jodie foster speak about her experience on set and how she was watching the directors and she felt like she got a, a master class education in filmmaking she's watching scorsese make taxi driver that is valuable and i feel like i've had many experiences like that where i got to watch curtis hansen direct the hand that rocks the cradle and i was like wow, I wonder what it's like to be the captain of the ship. I just, I still really genuinely love it. And it's a hard thing to love, but sometimes it, whether I ever get the, like the bigger successes again, or if I never do, or if I just like whatever it ends up looking like, I just still really do love it. So I wanted to bring a sense of not bitterness to this conversation because that's genuinely how I feel. There's couple things. One, I really hope, because you are so uniquely qualified to be the captain of the ship. So I really hope that that path, that one, you continue forging on because it's- I like hope so too. We need it, more yeah. former child actors out there crushing it and <laughs> taking over. Like Fred Savage, who's fucking amazing. He's yeah, so exactly. great. Fred Savage, and there's a, there's a lot, you know, and that writer on Schooled or the Goldbergs that you mentioned, Christine, I forgot her last name. Lakin. You know, it's like, yeah, Lakin, you know, yeah. And so, you know, that you, you are so uniquely qualified. And it's the most obvious thing about you, I think, when I when I hear you speak, that you would be so wonderful in those types of positions. So I, I hope that you continue moving in that direction and that it finds you. But the thing, right, when you talk about how much hope there is, I think that there's something when I hear that, I, I go, I really want to ask you one, why you don't like the nanny. And I also really want to ask you about the sort of having to go through the fire in certain ways to get to the hopeful place that you're at, because I think that's what might actually register to people. Cause I hear so obviously the lovely attitude you have about yourself and your work and your experience. I hear where it could have deviated to just a really dark place and yeah. where maybe you even touched on it and bounced off of it into such a nice place. But I don't know if anybody else understands that or hears that enough. So I don't know if you care to explain then like what. All I can say is that there are people who you learn from everybody you meet is a lesson and there are people who are a walking lesson of how to be and there are people who are walking lesson of how not to be and you can learn a lot from how not to be and and the way that i am on set and i don't play into the politics of hierarchy my aunt is a teamster i have a very working like like a blue collar ethic when it comes to being an actor. I never see myself as better than anyone else because I'm in front of the camera. I'm the way that I am because of people that I've worked with who were both that way and very different than that way. I had no idea. Did you not like being on The Nanny? You just didn't like the whole experience or? No, I liked I liked the experience of being on set. I, yeah. I wouldn't change that for anything. There's behaviors and attitudes that you just go, well, I just, I don't, I, don't, I see how that affects other people around that person. And it's ugly. When I looked up the nanny, I stopped at you guys did a reunion this year. So I just immediately assumed, oh, that's so cool. Maybe you guys all remain tight. And it was probably one and of I those. I had like a panic attack before that thing, but it was, it worked out great. It worked out great. Yeah. And everything was nice and fine. And I managed to get through it and somehow played the six-year-old version of myself, which was like, what am I even doing with That's my so life weird. right now? That's... But people <laughs> loved it. It wasn't, it's not about me and it's not about my me wanting to be on bigger and better things when I was at that time in my life and like getting those opportunities and having them snatched away from me by that production. 
And also it brings people so much more joy. So am I the one to be like, I need to bust their bubble of joy around that? I don't need to. And at one point I felt like I, I felt like it was my duty to do so. And now I'm kind of like, I just, it's not, it's not worth it. Like to, to, to pinpoint one person about that, it's not accurate because there's a whole crew and a whole society and a whole industry that supports people acting like shitheads, right? So not just on the nanny, but there are monsters who are getting jobs who are horrible to the people around them. And I don't think those people should ever be employed. If you're an asshole, like that one girl on Glee, I don't know what her name is, but you know. She was called out as being an asshole and horrible to many of the people that she worked with, right? And I just don't think, I think we are in an industry that somehow protects those monsters. Do you think being an asshole is a cancelable offense if it's to a high enough degree? If you're Stanley Kubrick, you can be an asshole, but not if you're the the lead in a shitty sitcom. But do you think that's true? Do you think the the level of talent versus the level of asshole, like there's there's a graph going on and some people are cancelable and some people aren't? No, because I worked with Renee Zellweger and I worked with Forrest Whitaker and they are as brilliant as it gets, Academy Award winning level and the kindest, most generous people. Yeah. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis has always been known as being an incredibly kind, respectful. Well, yeah, no, I'm not saying that being talented but makes you an asshole. But it has the most intense craft of anybody of wait, all wait, time. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not saying that being talented makes you an asshole. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying is that if you are an asshole, are you cancelable? And then, are, and then is Madeline's argument that, yes, but if you're talented too, then maybe you get to be more of an asshole before you I get canceled. I think everything is context. Everything is context. So if, you, if you're with your kids and you're out and about and you're having a, a meal and someone is obnoxious about asking for an autograph and you tell them to fuck off, kind of, I think that that's something that is understandable. Right. And that person probably shouldn't be canceled and that we have to remember that the removal of nuance is is the beginning of tyranny. I think Albert Maisel said that um, that we need nuance in each situation. But I think in general, if somebody has a really bad reputation, why are they getting a job? Because now we live in the age where everybody's got a camera phone on them and they will record your ass and put it on YouTube. And so that person becomes a liability and should not have a job in this industry, they should not be making more than a doctor, let's be real, to pretend to save somebody's life on TV, and then they're shitty to the craft service person. That person should not have a job. No, totally. And I can completely get behind that. I just feel like nowadays that you just can't get away with the same behavior that people used to get away with. I don't know, because I still, I've still heard a thousand stories and there's still a lot of people I've heard stories about and have had firsthand experience of they're totally fine. And there's new people. It's not like, it's like, oh, well, there's just somebody who's been around for 40 years and that's just the way they've always been. It's new people. It's people that are just coming on the scene in many ways that still, you can tell a lot of stories of and hear a lot of things. Well, if they're new, it's really unacceptable. <laughs> well, yeah. It's been but, 30 but, years, I understand. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, no, but just meaning, again, it's going to continue. It's not like suddenly we've come to a grinding halt. I think that that examination needs to happen at an industry level. It needs to happen at a studio level, at a level of the people who are making the decisions to hire somebody. And that part of getting a job should be an understanding of what the person is like to work with, that they shouldn't overlook that. Well, that really resonates with me. That's one of the reasons why I got out of acting is I felt like as a human being, I had so much more to offer than the industry was interested in caring about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the limited skill set that they were indexing for, which was acting talent, was just one facet of my personality. And I had so many other things to offer and bring to the table. I was constantly left frustrated that 
none of that stuff was relevant or or valued. If you're an actor, nobody wants to hear it as well. It's like, yeah. oh, you're an actor? Sit down and shut up and try to look pretty. Yeah. Oh, you're sweating? Don't sweat. Don't sweat. But I, I think also that might be true for so many of the people involved, whether you're an actor or not, because only because, you know, at, the, at its core, and I think really unabashedly, I don't think many people would argue, it's just a real, it's a capitalistic thing. It is, that is the business. It, it is just also like- it's artistic and it is also of the spirit totally. and should, and that part has been really shrunken down of late and to the point where it's very depressing. Absolutely. But that's why the changes, the same changes are made when a complaint comes from a clothing company or, uh, you know, a product. It's the same thing. I think companies are willing to adjust so long as it affects their sales and their reputation and, and what could happen for business. It's not willing to adjust just based on actual morality, you know, or actual conversations. And so I don't, I've never expected the entertainment industry to change based on the fact that there's a, a heightened sense of, uh, how people should expect other people to act on a film set. I think it would, it's only due to when like a show or a person could potentially be canceled and lose them a lot of money that they, that they then decide to act differently or inspect or. That's fine. But now we have a public Greek chorus called the internet. Like I was saying, there's a level of forgiveness that comes in when you understand human behavior. Like, and that is what I have learned and discovered when you put things into context you know, I, I worked on a set where, you know, this one woman, she had lost her husband. She found out her husband died. I watched her get the phone call mm. and her husband had had a heart attack and tragically died. And I watched her get the news while she was on set holding her child. And she was like eight months pregnant. Okay. Jeez. And this woman, she worked through the week. She was kind to everybody. I barely saw her cry. She had to be strong for her kids, right? She was a, an amazing example of the kind of strength and class that you can exhibit under inc incredible duress. Now the same the same kind of thing could happen to somebody else and they could be a nightmare and you would still understand because they're going through something. So I don't know that that person's whole life uh, on the nanny. I don't know what they were going through and I and I don't want to infer that I even could put it into context. But there are different ways of, of handling things. I could talk about Mr. Nanny and also all the other nanny projects I did too, which is like the Hand That Rocks the Cradle, which was an amazing experience. And I got to meet Leonard Cohen, who was dating Rebecca De Mornay at the time, and I didn't even know it. Like I got to meet one of my favorite artists of all time, a legend, like, and I didn't even have consciousness around it. But did, did I, that's he, did fucking he sing cool. a song? Was it? Yeah. No, was I don't like, remember. I literally don't yeah. remember. But he dated Rebecca De Mornay, and she was lovely, and everybody on that. That was like Julianne Moore's first film. And I saw Julianne Moore later. Her husband had directed an episode of Californication, and she, I, I didn't think she would even remember me. She came right up to me and she goes, Hi, you know, I thought about you the other day and the work that we did, and you kind of remind me of this girl on TV. And I was just like, I can't even believe you remember me. That's, That's really so cool. awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, there's just nice people you work with yeah. and they inspire you. And it's not worth it to focus on the shitty ones. The nice, amazing people who do all the great things they do. And then they do charity because they know they're lucky. How was Hulk and they Hogan? Make it. Hulk Hogan was the loveliest. Hulk Hogan had like a Make-A-Wish kid on set almost every single week. Wow. And was just like the kindest, sweetest guy. His kids were on set. I got to play with his kids. They were super kind. You know, that was... 
an amazing, lovely, fun experience, you know? I was a big fan, big fan of your work in that one. That's when it was one of my favorite movies growing up. Which we forgot about. Yeah, we looked up and we're like, she was the girl in Mr. Nanny. We're like, that's all we need to talk about. Which I've seen that movie like 10 times more times than I've seen The Godfather and Goodfellas yeah. combined. <laughs> really? Oh my God. I've seen that's that a, that's so how I feel times. about Showgirls. I've watched Showgirls way too many times. Really? Like, I, think one, I don't know. One, I just like, love it. Campy and fun, and I saw Elizabeth Berkeley at Real Food Daily when that was a thing. She 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 came up to me and she's like, "I'm a fan of you, Californication." And I was like, "I'm a fan of you." And she goes, "Oh, from what?" And I go, "You know what?" And <laughs> <laughs> then she started to blush. I mean, like, because it wasn't, it was still like also, you know, Saved by the Bell because. I wanted my name to be Kelly Kapowski growing up. I was a huge fan, but Showgirls somehow is just really a special experiment that I love to watch. There was a movie for me. I, I imagine it had a lot to do with puberty, but also just like, I don't know why I'd seen it a thousand times too many, which was this David Schwimmer movie called Breast Men. That was on HBO. Do you remember? But it was right around the Showgirls. I don't time think I'm the demographic the here. <laughs> I, no, no, no. It was like a like a dark comedy about, I think, like plastic surgeons or something. And it was just one of those movies where I was like, I don't know why I watched that one. Thousand I know. Times. I know two reasons why you watched that movie. So I wanted to ask you, you were inspired to come on the show and share some things. And I think part of that revolved around the fact that there you perceive some misconceptions in society as it relates to former child actors. And I just wanted to make sure that if there were any other things to mention there in terms of setting the record straight regarding misconceptions as it relates to child child actors, was there anything specific that you wanted to mention? I would say, yes. Specifically, there are a lot of kids who know what they want and who they are at a young age. Mm. And then they say, "Do I want to do this. And their parents are reluctantly taking them to auditions. That is, that is that happens a lot. There are kids who are like, you know, musical theater kids who are like, look at me. I want to being in, you know, Les Mis. And then they all like, you know, then that's their thing, you know, like, and their parents are, you know, like, uh, oh, I guess I, I hope it goes good. I don't know if it makes feelings about this. Not everything's painted with this one paintbrush of like gross parents who are trying to exploit their children and rob them. Yeah, or living vicariously through them. Or, yeah, my mom yeah. never took money from me. She she was just her. She was just herself and, and wanted to help set us up. In our opening episode, Chris and I talk about the Wikipedia page, which says child actors, you know, oftentimes become obsessed with their own past success and they're unable to find the same level of success in adulthood. And as a result, all of these crazy things happen. They go bankrupt. They have drug problems. They have poor relationship skills. You know, the list goes on and on. And a lot of that stuff are misconceptions about the vast majority of former kid actors. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to weigh in on any of that stuff. I think a lot of that is also an imposition from the outside, like casting directors not wanting to give young people the shot to cross over or that you're, I was seen as like a sitcom kid, even though I'd booked these other jobs and had been working in film forever before I was on that show. And then I couldn't transition out because they were like, ah, she's just, or she's just a cute kid, and and then it's another way of of diminishing your talent, and 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 then and uh, uh, negating it, right? But really, like if you got a job as a kid, you were probably cute, but you were also probably fucking talented and good. I so I want to spin off of that for a second, which is, do you ever feel haunted by your past success, or are you able to celebrate the achievements that you did because you were so talented as a young person? You did earn those jobs. You did do the work, good work. Are, 
are you able to own it and be proud of it? Or do you feel haunted by yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, for sure. My friend Davida just posted about like the hand that rocks the cradle was on TV the other day and she posted a video of me and I'm like singing along with Matt McCoy and I'm super cute and sweet and adorable. And I also was good. And like, I have like a, an epic line in that, in that film where I go, you're not my mommy. And I slam the door and like, I, I'm very proud of it. And I'm proud of, I'm proud of any moments that people that I don't even think about that make people happy that, that have nothing to do with my own perception of myself or my work as well. Yeah. Um, so that, that stands out to me as something that I'm, I am proud of and, and like can celebrate and I can celebrate Mr. Nanny too. So I, I feel like I can celebrate it. I think each thing is specific to its own world. And was there ever a time where maybe you weren't able to celebrate it? Is this something you've learned to do or has it always been that way? Yeah, no, I think there was a time where the idea of being on the nanny being the biggest thing I had ever done bothered me because of the things that I had booked while I was on it, <laughs> the other jobs that I'd gotten close on or booked and what I wanted to continue to do. And I, I didn't want to be defined by this one moment in time. And there are people who will always define me by it. And I have to make peace with that and find joy in that too, because I, I can't, I, it's in me to do that. I don't need to be begrudgingly a memory in somebody's world and be like, I don't want to be that kind of memory. I don't want to be painted with that brush. You know, we have to let go. No, that's great. Uh, and I'm glad you're able to own that stuff and be proud that, you know, it's another thing that was important to Chris and I in doing this podcast is letting people know, like, you earned that shit. You, you did that yeah. work. You earned it. You were great. You were talented. You should, you know. Because people will try to take credit for every little success you have. Sure. And yeah. then minimize it because they're jealous. And like, I never got that as a kid. I just wanted to be accepted by the other kids around me. And when I wasn't, because I went to regular school, which was a big boo-boo on my parents' part. They like, I was in public <laughs> regular school during me the too. nanny. And I was, yeah. were you? Yeah. Oh my God, I was fucking bullied, bro. I was yeah. bullied. I had no friends. It was bad. I mean, like that was almost like, like, you know, when they chase down Frankenstein and it's like the mob, the villagers, <laughs> yeah. the orcs. That kind of really happened to me at, at really? like, yeah, at like, and I ran into like this girl, Bethany's house who lived near the, the junior high. Junior high was the last time I went to regular school. But yeah. Because you got ran out of there by pitchforks? Kind of. <laughs> and mom, the, mom, yeah. the mom who like let me like take shelter in there had to like turn a hose on the kids because they were trying to like beat me up. Legit like crazy, some crazy stuff. Weird, yeah. violent. But it, it was all out of jealousy. I yeah. never, I, I was just like, why don't they like me? I thought it was just another rejection. But then really they just... They wanted to be me and that's even weirder, you know? This is one of those, so. I totally understand and agree. And this is one of the things that I wish, I don't know the answer to it. And Chris and I talk about it all the time, which is who's going to teach young actors that that's a part of it, like the jealousy thing and like how to navigate that emotionally, that it's coming, parents. what to do with it. <laughs> parents, I know, but parents. I also feel like the parents are, can't be expected to know those things. They don't know what they're getting in for. Um, it's yeah. it's hard to know all that. Well, not stuff. previous, but as it's happening, I mean, you you are a very well-adjusted human being, Madeline. And that's I thought really you were talking obvious. about so me, like, but okay. No, not you, you AJ. You, you, you too. You too. Yeah, you've 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 hit the the concrete a few times and just skid across it for a while. Um, but you, I don't know what are, that means. We all have. We all have you're standing high. strong. You're standing strong now, as did I. But you. But no, what I mean though is like you obviously then you know you, you talk very well of your mom and you you know my guess is is she was able to help you navigate those situations 
well. Maybe not. Maybe you're just that that's you were just you and you were able to navigate those situations well. I also got the living shit kicked out of me in public schools because of work that I did on like the Disney Channel or, you know, on Beverly Hills 90210. You know, it's like a, you know, it, it's really easy and it's difficult to be in that kind of setting, I think, as a young actor. Madeline, if you had children and they came to you or you were a mentor to a young person and they came up to you and said, I would really like to be an actor. Would you let your your future children be an actor? I would talk to them first about the rejection, the inevitable rejection that's going to happen even if you have success. And I would really try to paint what that picture looks like. And if they still thought they wanted to do it, I mean, who could stop somebody from trying to do what they think they love or going for what they, they love, you know? Would I encourage my own daughter if she wanted to do that? Probably not. For me to say, no, absolutely not, it would be hypocritical and ridiculous to say that. I hate when people do that who are in the industry, who are actors and have had major success. They're like, I'll never let my kid. It's like, okay, well then what the fuck have you been doing with your life? Because you're not a good example then either, right? So like if you've had such a terrible time, then like you're not and you're still doing it, you know, that's why, like, I, I still love this. I, I, I'm I'm still in this. I have a lot of skin in the game and I'm still trying. And and so in, in that, I can't turn my back in, entirely on any part of it. I want to navigate the waters more clear-mindedly and without any kind of illusions about it. But I would, I would first dispel illusions about, do they want to be famous? Like, what is the actual intent behind it? What, because you, you, you can't fall into that trap when you're connected to deeper levels of, of an art form or what it means to the human spirit, what it means to your own heart, then those other things that are illusions aren't as enticing anyway. So I would, I would first figure out what is the real want? Is it just, you want to be seen, which I think we all want to be seen. I think it's a human need and, and that we all deserve to be seen. But maybe there's another way you can be seen without having to jump into the deep end with all the sharks. Well put. Amen. Well, this is our last question before we give you a whole slew of compliments. But the last question we have is what, if you wouldn't mind telling us, what did you do when you turned 18 with all your Coogan account money? <laughs> oh, no. It says that my my battery will go to sleep soon. Okay. Oh, no. Um, okay. We had a party. You know, I had a, a big party at the Odyssey or something. You know, that round thing over off the 405, the Odyssey, like, oh, restaurant? Yeah. We had a party, and uh, I partied with my family and my friends, and I'm sure I snuck some some joints and some some booze, too, at the time. <laughs> That's so funny. And, yeah, just, just hanging with the people I love. I didn't do any, I, I bought a house. I did buy a house and then I lost money on that house because I bought it in Valencia and I should, at the top of the market, I learned about the housing crisis the hard way, but, um, you know, but we're no strangers I, to it, yeah. but now I know, now I know, I know more than a lot of people my age about, you know, uh, negative amortization, <laughs> uh, loan. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I bought a house and we, and we had a party and that's yeah. what I hope to do again someday after another windfall. You deserve cash. another party in another house, Madeline. You do. Thank and you we'll, day. we'll Thank count us in. We will be there. If you would be so kind as to invite us, please um, come. Please come. just get COVID tested, but you can come. Exactly. <laughs> um, but to celebrate you is very easy. You are, um, in listening to you today, I, you know, 
I feel so much a, like a kindred spirit with you, and I I relate so much to. I feel that I, way with everything. both of you guys because yeah, we yeah. all we all ran away to the circus at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we and- really did, and, and and I feel like our our adulthood looks way more similar than you actually know, like way more similar. And I think um, uh, I think my time just now in life looks uh, very very similar to yours, and um, I heard that a lot, and so it'll be nice to talk to you off of here. Uh, totally. too, but it's been it's been and so nice to connect. At some point, I want to make yeah, stuff with all you guys. And, and and that's what I want to say. Like, AJ, you know, even if you, you're not you, trying to act anymore, you're going to yeah, get roped in. He's in development. He I, does, I'm uh, offer only at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good for you, bro. <laughs> good for you, AJ. Someday meet um, again. So you, I mean, you are a, an absolutely incredible actress. You're so dynamic. Your um, your body of work is. I think uh, like a dream come true for probably anybody who wants to get into acting. And so um, I hope you get to feel that more often than not, because from the outside looking in, it's just, you're really incredible. And it's, and it's amazing that you have uh, been able to remain as whole and as energetic and lovely as you do through 30 years of being in the entertainment industry and that you've been able to renew your passion for for what you do often enough to where you're you're still there today because I really think you should be I think you're just incredible and I totally it is the easiest thing to see that at some point whatever it is secretly inside whatever desire you have as an actress and a director now and a writer to go do you're going to find it and that'll happen and I'm really excited for it and um and, and I'm so grateful that you were here to share so much of yourself today. I Thanks, Madeline. Thank you oh, no, you guys are awesome. Same. Back at you guys. Okay. Well, okay. well, thank you. Hey, thank you so much for everyone who listened. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. And we love if you found another moment in your life, if you could rate the show for us, if you could just leave a review, even if it's bad, that's all good. And it's not all good, but you know, do what you got to do and uh, and share this, you know, with someone, if you think they might enjoy it, just a little word of mouth would be awesome for us here. So thank you so much. Once again, guys, tune in for another episode next week. 